Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I have the great honor and privilege of being joined in the virtual studios in South Bend, Indiana, by my good friend and co-host and the man who taught Houdini how to escape from the underwater coffin, Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how, how are you doing, my friend? I am well, thank you. How are you, Deacon? I'm just fine. You just know, fine. <laughs> we've talked about this before. You know I have an irrational fear of water. And so there's no way on God's green earth, or in this case, this great wide wet world, that I would be caught anywhere near a coffin underwater. Oh, my gosh. That is insane. I think if I remember correctly, you showed him like in a bathtub, and then he said, yeah, well, yeah. let's just try it in a, in a swimming pool. Then he moved to the ocean or whatever. So That, that Harry Houdini, a great uh, skeptic he was. Absolutely. Well, how have you been, friend? Now, you know, it's interesting because as we're recording this, you are preparing to hop on an airplane and go across the largest of all swimming pools, the pond known as the Pacific Ocean, because you're going to be uh, off being an evangelist. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to uh, Louisiana first and then off to Australia, which I'm very excited about. I, I haven't been there for several years due to the pandemic. And this is my seventh trip. And I will be speaking at, it's called Be Not Afraid. It's the theme of the conference. You know, after coming out of the pandemic and right. people are kind of reluctant to go back to church and, you know, that kind of thing. So Tim Staples from Catholic Answers and I are going over there and we're headlining a conference to get people kind of inspired and on fire for their faith again. And uh, I will also be speaking at parishes. So this is great. So it's Latin Rite Parishes. Maronite parishes and Chaldean Catholic parishes. So it's going to be awesome. And then uh, I'm also doing a uh, World Youth Day formation event for the Archdiocese of Sydney. Cool. So I'll be talking to uh, young adults that will be heading over for World Youth Day, just kind of getting them ready. And my theme is going to be how the Blessed Mother received the message uh, and received Christ to her and then went in haste. Yeah. You know, the sea and live that. So that's the thing. I'm excited about that. I got some good things to say. And then finally, I'm teaching at a catechetical institute. I'm uh, doing a 20 hour course on the sacraments. Wow. So it's eight classes total introduction to the sacraments, and then one class on each of the seven sacraments. That's about two hours each. Wow. <laughs> so I get to cut loose. So it's not just, you know, speaking for 45 minutes or an hour in front of a crowd. This is, these are people that are getting certificates. Okay. Uh, kind of like a ministry formation, adult education formation program. So I'm honored to be going out there and teaching this class. And uh, this is great. I got notes and I've got, you know, because I, I don't really teach that often, right. you know, so I'm, I'm excited to be in a classroom environment where I can really go deeper. So it's I'm really, really looking forward to it. And uh, all that's going to be in about a week. So uh, <laughs> a lot yeah. of work to do in that short time. <laughs> when you're doing that kind of formation, catechetical formation, do you know, are your students going to be people who already have a little bit of like on the ground experience or are these brand new teachers? I asked that same question. And this is for people who are primarily working in parishes okay, who have jobs as, you know, DREs or religious ed uh, educators or catechists who want 
to go further, go deeper. Sure. Sure. Or, or don't have some kind of formal certificate or anything like that. So this is uh deeper formation. So they told me not to hold back. I said, should I, how intellectual should I get with this? You know, should, you know so, yeah. so I said, no, no, just, just, you know, just let it rip. You know, you gotta, you gotta talk for two hours. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, That's awesome. Uh, but interesting the what the one sacrament I'm having, uh, I've, I've got great notes. I, I'm, I'm, you know, but the one that I was struggling to get two hours out of was anointing of the sick. You know, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, all the other ones, I got plenty of material, but so I decided to draw from actually from stuff that we did, Ken, you know, talking about Salvivici Dolores, mm -hmm. you know, St. John Paul II on suffering. I decided to tie suffering into the whole uh, discussion about the sacrament as well, the meaning of suffering. Fantastic. That's awesome. The, uh, uh, yeah, anointing of the sick is the one, of course, I think a lot about anointing of the sick in terms of, most of us are going to experience suffering at one point or another, and some people experience chronic suffering. And to unite their suffering with the sufferings of the Lord on behalf of the church is really our, our invitation. It doesn't necessarily make the pain go away, but it gives it meaning. And that sometimes is the most important thing that we need is to understand that this is not meaningless, but to unite our suffering with Christ in a way that then has fruit of grace for the church. That seems to me to be a potentially fruitful way to think about suffering. Yeah, that is so true. You You should teach, Ken. Uh, you know, I, commu- I mean, your whole thing is communications, I, man. I do. I get to tell stories and, and uh, hopefully those stories have meaning. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I do get involved, of course. I mean, I've worked with RCIA at uh, my own parish. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, and yeah. I've uh, done a little work when I was at University of Portland. I worked with uh, our nursing students in, in a very important class. Actually, it comes right back to what we were just talking oh, about. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, yeah I remember the that. Christian meaning of uh, suffering and death. Um, and uh, that was a that was an incredible course because, you know, when you're when you're working with nurses and people in the healthcare professions, these are people who are going to see suffering and death every day in their own jobs. And I would constantly tell the students, it's really learning how to unite their own work with the work of Christ, but also to understand that they themselves are going to be suffering by suffering with the people that that they uh, are working with. And that's, of course, the very meaning of the word compassion. It means to suffer with. And so to have compassion for another is to enter into and accompany them in their suffering, not just hold it off at a distance, because that that walls off an entire part of your life. That That becomes actually untenable, and we become cold and calculating in a way that uh, that makes us less effective as healers as well. And so uh, that was a powerful experience. And so I think uh, much like you've said, you know, teaching is is an act also of mercy towards the other. I know, uh, especially, you know, in our role as Christians, as in our role as disciples who have this mission from the Lord to be missionary disciples, to bring others to Christ. That is itself a great act of mercy. No, that's so true. Yeah, well said. That's great, Ken. Well, you know, Deacon, we have been discussing the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, uh, and we've been talking particularly lately about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this week we're going to discuss together the gift of understanding, which is different than the gift of knowledge. 
So we're going to dive in tonight to talk about understanding. Yeah. So the gift of understanding helps us to understand, right? To, to grasp the meaning of the truths of our faith. You know, so many people struggle with, you know, some of the more difficult church teachings. And they're difficult in the sense that they're countercultural, you know, so they go against the grain of how the world thinks and acts. So instead of saying, wow, you know, I, I don't like this church teaching on contraception, let's say, well, why? I just don't like it. It's stupid. I mean, this is the 21st century. The church should, you know, get up at the times. Well, th- that's not a reason not to accept the teaching. What you have to do is understand why the church teaches what it does and then inform your conscience from there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So so we have to really bring the Holy Spirit this to truly understand what the church teaches and why it teaches what it does. So if we're going to be against something, at least we're knowledgeable. But the, here's the beautiful thing. The more we open our hearts to the beauty of the church's teaching, the more it draws us closer to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Because understanding helps us to grasp the truth. And truth, remember, is not just a philosophical construct. Truth is a person, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. So the gift of understanding helps us to know about our faith so we can be drawn into deeper relationship with Jesus. Even the word understanding means, I mean, you can break it apart, right? This is a classic trick. To stand under, to say this teaching, this thing that the church believes and professes is like a roof. And to understand is to place myself beneath that roof, to receive in a, in a way the protection of that, the protection of the teaching. And it means actually that's where I can flourish, right? That's where I can live. To stand under, to understand the church's teaching in a way is to allow ourselves to live within what the church teaches. It's kind of a simple analogy, a simple image. But at the same time, the church uses the term submission of intellect and will and talks about the doctrines that the church holds up as requiring religious submission or sometimes the simple submission. And even in so doing, even in saying, I don't understand this, but I'm at least going to follow it and ask for understanding, right? That's sometimes where we place ourselves, as you say, by living uh, in accordance with the teaching, we then begin to open up and we begin to understand a little bit more as we begin to see the wisdom from within the teaching itself, rather than standing afar and judging it and saying, I'm just going to reject that until you can explain to me why. I think there's a fundamental difference when we actually enter into and live in accordance with the teaching while we seek to understand the reason behind Ours is a reasonable faith, right? Ours is not simply a fiat faith. It's not simply one that says you do this and you don't even need to worry about why. You, you don't even think about it, just do. No, our faith actually, reason is informed by faith. And faith actually helps us to understand even more deeply. This, of course, is what the great St. Augustine, you know, faith-seeking understanding. Is that St. Augustine or is it uh, St. Anselm? Boy, it's one or the other. I think it's actually St. Anselm. Is that yeah. it, right? Yeah, fides queris intellectum, right? Yeah. Faith seeking understanding. Yeah. So we think. But of, I, just the, go the ahead. point which you, you made about religious submission. Yeah. Or it's also sometimes called the ascent, religious ascent of the mind and the will. Yeah. 
a lot of people will say that that idea of religious submission means it takes away my freedom. See, I have to submit to the church's teaching, and in doing so, it takes away my freedom to choose. But that's not the way. <laughs> that's not the way to think about it. So, for example, I've been going. You know, I've been doing this plant-based eating thing, which everybody. A lot of people talk to me about that now because they've seen Pints with Aquinas when I was on there. Right, right. Like, How's that going, man? You're looking great. That kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I lost about uh, 57 pounds so far. Wow. And so I've been going to a gym. I have a personal trainer. And so the personal trainer has been giving me these exercises to do. So I have uh, pushing exercises, pulling exercises, and then leg day. And I'm in the gym now. I've been doing this for several months now. And I've, I see the improvement. That I'm doing more reps. I'm doing heavier weights. And, and and I said, my goal is to be stronger and leaner, not to build muscle mass. I'm not trying to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that, right? <laughs> but I noticed like these other people in the gym, and you start to see the same people all the time, the time of the morning that I go, and they're doing all these other cool exercises. I'm like, how come I'm not doing those exercises, you know? And so the last time I talked to my trainer, I said, you know, I, I noticed they're doing like these curls. And all these, like, Why am I not doing that? So then he helped me to understand why? Because before he just gave me an exercise, I just, okay, I'll just do them because I, I, haven't, I haven't been to a gym in over 25 years, man. You know, yeah, I haven't pushed yeah. the weight in a long time. So you just can't start doing those exercises. I have to get a foundation laid first. So the exercises that he gave me are designed to lay a foundation. Then these other exercises become possible. If I were just to start with those exercises without the foundation, without getting certain muscles in shape, that prepares me to do the other exercise on there. I said, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. I said, that makes perfect sense. See, now I have understanding. And that's the same thing with the church. We just can't say, well, shoot, why can't I do this? Why, why won't the church let me do X, Y, Z? But once we understand the beauty of why the church teaches what it does and what it means for us as human beings, made in God's image and likeness and how conforming ourselves to this objective truth brings us deeper into intimacy with the Lord. But, oh, now it makes sense. Now, I may still have to struggle to get there because once I understand something intellectually, now the hard part becomes, Ken, how do I align my life and live my life according to what I know intellectually to be true? Right. You see, that's where the rubber hits the road. A number of things come to mind in, in the example you've just given. One, of course, one immediately my mind went to Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. I mean, you know, <laughs> Danielson yeah. had no idea that he was learning basic skills that he would need to effectively win in a martial arts you know, competition as he was learning to paint the fence, you know, in a very specific way. And as he was learning to learning to sand the floor and all of these motions that then proved to be the foundation of his win. So, I mean, that's the first image, right? And I love the thought of thinking of you, Deacon Harold, you know, painting the fence very carefully and sanding the floor circle to circle and things like that. But then the other also <laughs> uh, is directly related to our faith, and that is the Old Testament and the New Testament are part of a story that tells the story of God's ever-increasing revelation to his people. And God in the Old Testament with his chosen people, to Moses, he gives the Ten Commandments of the law. And the Ten Commandments are very clear. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. 
you know, there's a number of prohibitions. There's one, of course, positive commandment, you know, honor your father and mother, keep holy the Sabbath day. There are several positive commandments in there, but these commandments are prohibitions that are meant to form his people in a certain way to be attentive to their obligations to God and their obligations to one another, their obligations to the community, their obligations to their family and their people. But those commandments are not enough to save. Those commandments set the stage for the greatest commandment, which Christ reveals is the commandment of charity, the commandment to love one another. Loving charity requires that we not kill our brother, that we not steal, that we not commit adultery, that we not covet, that we honor our parents, that we keep holy the Sabbath. All of those things are the baseline upon which we stand in order to be free to truly love as God loves. And so God trained his people through the commandments for the greater commandment, which is the invitation to charity, to act as God acts within himself in the Trinity. And so that's what I think of when I think of we see wisdom in the Ten Commandments and in the 613 mitzvot, you know, the 613 commandments and and, uh, uh, rules of the Old Testament. There's wisdom in those, but they are fulfilled in love, but they work together. And so that's kind of something that I think of uh, when I when I think of the, the example you've given there, too, Deacon. That's awesome, Ken. That's that's a, a really beautiful reflection. You know, uh, the, the thing about our faith for me is that the more I learn, the more I, I understand, the more I realize how much I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really I mean, it's, it's humble to say that, but that, that's so true. You know, I, I pick up a book. I, I Obviously, I love books. I love reading. I love learning more about the faith. And, you know, and, and I mentioned I'm totally into um, Dr. Favale. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Dr. Uh, Miguel Favale, gosh, yeah. man. Who's now here I, at I just, Notre Dame. I know. I know <laughs> how jealous I am that she's out there. Yeah. But um, I'm just like delving into her stuff. And I'm like, you know, I was like, wow. I mean, such incredible insights. So, so when I read things like Dr. Favale's work, it helps me to better understand and appreciate the the truths of our faith. You know, it, it, by in a sense, penetrating their inner meaning and the revealed truths um, leads me to be more excited and on fire for my faith. You know, the faith stops being for so many people sterile and active, but it becomes inspirational. You know, it becomes inspirational because it helps me to move faith from my head and move it into my heart. And that's what helps me to to move forward, to be able to see the person standing in front of me, you know, to see that person, the image and likeness of God. Right. To understand that, you know, that there's a purpose, there's a teleology, right? There's a there's a meaning and a purpose for why we exist. And, and to recognize that beauty in, in another person, even in the unborn, right? Who, right. who are, per- I mean, all, all, see, see, so a, a teaching in one area of the faith really, you know, helps for me personally, helps me to look at something more deeply in another aspect of my faith, you know? So it's not just, it's not just these, you know, stay in your lane, 
you know, it's, it's like an overflow of God's love. You know, the, the, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know, the more I want to know. I want to understand because it helps it helps me ultimately become a better Catholic um, and helps me move into deeper intimacy with, with the Lord. Yeah, it comes back to what we were saying earlier, right? Faith seeking understanding. I mean, yeah. the, the more we see the interrelatedness um, of God's creation, the more it makes us understand the great charity, the great love which God showed in even creating in the first place. Right, God's creation is an overflowing and a superabundance of God's love, which overflows into creation. He doesn't require God doesn't require us at all. God is entirely self-sufficient. God is a trinity of love, which shares that great gift with us, and then invites us to enter back into that love by giving of ourselves, by self-emptying ourselves in service to one another. God's going to fill that emptiness with grace and that that emptiness that 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 hole that that can only be filled with God's love that can be only be filled with God himself again you know Augustine our our hearts are restless until they rest in thee O God who is the spoke of the God-shaped hole in our heart you know it's a relationship that God is calling us into and the beautiful thing is that God is in relation to all creation. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. He is before all else that is. And in him, everything lives and moves and has its being. So, I mean, these are all words from hymns in praise of Christ that St. Paul shares with us so that we, too, can begin to just grasp the little tiniest portion of how much God loves us and how much Christ himself emptied and became one of us, right? That total self-emptying, his, his kenosis, uh, self-emptying gift that he might come and be like one of us in all things but sin. But through his coming to be with us, he actually enabled us to become like him, you know, to uh, restore the relationship, the perfect relationship with the Father. And so that's the gift of the sacraments as well. Um, and that's where you know, we, it always comes back to this, right? We always end up talking in some way about the great gifts of the sacraments that heal us and restore us into right relationship with God, especially the sacrament of reconciliation and the ongoing gift of the Eucharist in which he feeds himself to us so that we might actually enter into true communion with him. That's the great gift and what we're invited to. And that's why, that's why we actually get to meet and chat every week here, Deacon. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. And uh, one other thing I want to add too, it also this gift of um, uh, understanding also helps us to work through um, to find the truths uh, about the faith from a historical perspective. So, for example, the Crusades or the Inquisition. You know, people say, "Oh my goodness, that's when the." Church killed all those people and they, you know, they 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 pillaged and plundered and all this kind of stuff, which is really black legend, you know. So I think the gift of understanding helps us to, you know, to really understand and to seek truth. That that's that's what it comes down to me, is the bottom line. You know, this person says this, this person says this. Okay, which one what is actually true? Yeah. That's what it comes down to me. Uh and, and when it came to the crusades, I mean, I actually have a a talk that I give where I, I touch on what the Crusades and what the Inquisition were. So, for example, you know, how many people did the 
the, the church put to death during the Inquisition. You know, I, I'm going to I'm going to guess and it's going to sound okay. crazy. Zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. That's correct. Why? Because the church had no authority to put anyone to death. Being a heretic was against this was against the state, the laws of the state, which was, you know, you could be put to death for being a heretic. And the the Inquisition was started in order to try instead of just, you know, because it was a secular court that was deciding it's not the church. Right. They said, oh, that sounds bad. Put him to death. Oh, that sounds bad. Put him to death. So Pope Julian stepped in and said, "Uh, you know what? Why don't you let us kind of adjudicate these since we're kind of the experts in this theology thing? Yeah. And so he set up the Dominicans and they were the judges for the Inquisition. And the Inquisition, all that means is that was the kind of system uh, of court system. It was inquiry, question and answer kind of a thing. And so the goal of the Pope was to bring the lost sheep back into the fold. That was the goal. And um, there was an 800-page report that was put together by 30 scholars. Don't believe Deacon Harold. I mean, John Paul II asked for this study from 1997 to 2002. He allowed these 30 scholars into the Vatican archives for five years to study the Inquisition. They have an 800-page report. And in the executive summary, it talks about some of the highlights of the report. Where that included, no one was put to death. Uh, and the people that were put to death were put to death by the state because they refused after the Inquisition. You know, they were told, hey, look, if you still hold this belief, you realize you're going to be put to death. And 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 it was a state. And we're talking about, um, you know, less than two percent of all the people that were put on trial were put to death again by the state, not by the church. So people don't know that. So the more we learn, understand that uh, um, that gives us knowledge and confidence uh, in our in our faith as well. Not that saying that the, you know, the church doesn't make mistakes and their abuses and things like that. Obviously, we saw it with the priest scandal, right? But um, again, these things were happening because they weren't following what the church actually taught. Yeah, <laughs> right. See? Yeah, yeah. In- so. Individual sinners. Yeah, understanding helps us to discern. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, Deacon, we have run out of time together, as is our custom, but uh, we will pick up this conversation next week. Uh, and uh, so let's plan on doing that, shall we? Folks, we invite you to connect with us on, uh, you can download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. And if you're on Facebook, you can connect with us at Living Stones Media. Our group there has, you know, a couple hundred people. We'd love for you to join. We occasionally post links and things like that. We'll actually try to find the link and post that up there on the, uh, on this report, which Deacon Harold was just talking about, about the Inquisition. Uh, done by Pope St. John Paul II and uh, and his commission. But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.